Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we've got a kablooey of a St. Louis kind of show lined up for you. Lara Teeter from Webster University has been a friend of MTCA for a long time, and we are so glad to finally have him on the show. Today, we talked about the actor-first mentality of Webster and how the acting and musical theater majors interact. We talked about the combines of Webster, at least I call them the combines, in terms of how they level the dancing and help the singing training at the beginning of their um, training there. Um, we talk about the advice of having a life out of the side of the theater program and how there's sort of a catch-22 and how difficult that is in a conservatory environment, but also how important it is. Um, we talk about getting to know a student in the audition versus just the essence of a of a perfect performer, um, how important it is to them that they really get to know their students. We talk about some red flags in auditions and needing to take adjustments, some attitude issues, and, and if a student were to make it all about themselves. And then Lara references Blink, one of my favorite books, when we talk about how he accepts or doesn't accept certain students. But before we get to Lara, Megan, what a time of year it is. I know. It's a busy decision-making research time for our students. And I just wanted to say that we've been noticing a little uptick of our downloads for the upcoming months or past months, I should say. And I do think it has something to do with our students making decisions on what schools they potentially want to go to. And I encourage um, our MTCA students or our current podcast listeners, if you know somebody else who's going through the process, feel free to share those episodes. Have them speed dating around our podcast (laughs) and uh, all the colleges around. We'll be in an open relationship with these students with their their podcast. Please. Why not? Um, I just want to add in just, you know, first, I'm so proud of all the students in the year that it's been. What a difficult year it's been getting through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And just sending so much love to those of you who are going through that decision. Many, I know, of our MTCA students have multiple great options, which is like so exciting. That's the goal of going through this process. But then they're going to have to take some real time to consider And you can make all the pro-con lists and we suggest it. And of course, you better go visit those schools and you should take some classes and all the things that we tell our MTCA students to do. But then at the end of the day, you also have to go with your gut. You know, you have to feel like this feels like the right decision for me. And then, you know, you're going to take the leap a little bit like we said with JB of you're going to build that parachute over the course of those four years after you go, here we go. This feels right to me. Yeah. Megan, how did you make that decision when you were narrowing down? I know you had a number of great options. Yeah, I did. I was lucky to have a few options to choose from. I knew that Baldwin Wallace was on the top of my list from when I was starting out. My parents forced me to go on like the college tour before auditioning. And I was like, Mom, why am I going to all these schools mm-hmm. when I don't know if I'm going to go get, get in? But I will say the positive that came out of that experience is that I was able to tour Baldwin Wallace. And 
you get like that feeling you're like oh like this could be my home for the next couple of years i was like straight coming out of like interlock and summer camp and i was like this has like a weird similar feel to mm-hmm. this and i don't know why this is making me feel like this is where i want to be but yeah sometimes it's just a feeling mm. home is such a good word you know whether it's from the campus to the people like does this feel like the right place for me what yeah. a thing that people are going to be doing. It's not like they're all going to be doing it this week either, Megan. We know they got some weeks still. It's not until May 1st. No. Lara does talk about it in this upcoming episode about, you know, making decisions. So it's a big thing. It's a listening. big thing. So enjoy the episode with Lara Teeter from Webster. Well, we are honored to have Lara Teeter on the pod with us today. Uh, Lara has a BA from Oklahoma City University. He's been on Broadway in shows like Happy New Year, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, The Pirates of Penzance, and On Your Toes, for which he received a Tony Award nomination and an Outer Critics Circle Award. Um, he's acted in places all over the country like the Muni. He's directed everywhere. He's taught everywhere, including Cal State University Fullerton, where he helped start the pilot program for the BFA in musical theater, Northwestern University, Shenandoah University, and now at Webster University, where he serves as the Associate Professor of Theater and Head of Musical Theater. Uh, Webster is located in St. Louis, Missouri. They take class sizes of about 20 students. They offer degrees in BFA musical theater, BFA acting, BA directing, and many other BFAs all over the theater world. Lara, how are you doing? Welcome on the pod. I am doing really well today. It's so nice to have you in my presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty great to be in your presence, I'll say. And what a presence it is. Um, tell me a little bit, before we dive too deep into Webster, I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your background and, and how you got to this position. And, and maybe especially I'd love to hear a bit about your journey as head. So in terms of your experience of the past, you know, since 2007, when you uh, joined Webster, so till now. Yeah, well, Cal State Long Beach was looking for a director choreographer for their, the opera program was looking for a director choreographer for West Side Story. Um, and um, out of the 14 guys that auditioned, all 14 were cast, and only two of them had ever been near a dance room. So uh, I had to take that wonderful score and simplify it and make the movement be about acting and mm. very dramatic story here. But I was on the opening night stage and telling the cast that I had found my true passion, which was to be a teacher. I, mm. and my journey with that show and having to simplify everything and really focus on the acting really felt like it was coming home. And then from there, I uh, my resume went across um, the, the table, um, and, and I, I think this is important for the kids to hear because it was, I was, it was one of those stories of been there, done that, but I was there at the time when the AIDS ep- epidemic took so many lives, uh, so many of my friends, and I actually got my first job in the university because someone had passed away from AIDS, and, um, and so, uh, you know, just kind of found myself in this environment while still managing to work in the profession. Mm-hmm. and um, then left after seven years to go back out on the road with a big tour and then came back to teaching at Northwestern and then went on to Shenandoah Conservatory where I found that that's where I, I felt I belonged was in mm-hmm. the conservatory. Um, and um, my wife and family and I had the opportunity to interview for Webster, and that was 15 years ago, and uh, we've raised a uh, 
are in the currently raising four kids. Here, two have already uh, graduated. They're they're in sophomores in in college. Boy, girl, twins. Charlie and Elizabeth are sophomores in college, and um, and then Catherine and Maggie are are here in St. Louis, finishing up school. And uh, my wife teaches theater and dance next door at an all girls Catholic high school. Hmm. And uh, there you have it. That's how I got to be here. And Charlie and Elizabeth, you did not name your twins after me and my partner. Also, Charlie and Elizabeth. Also, Charlie and Elizabeth. We we did not. It just happened to be lucky. It just happened to be so lucky. <laughs> um, well, I'd love to get into, so now with this this time, these 15 years that you've been at Webster, I, I'd love to talk a little bit, if you could sum up what you feel like a Webster student is, or what it has become, especially in the past 15 years. What would you say that that student is? What what kind of qualities do they share? If there is something we can distill down, someone who is curious, someone who is a storyteller, someone who uh, loves, understands, uh, and can receive criticism, someone who can uh, work hard, someone who shows up, and that that's a big statement. Showing up meaning showing up not just on time, but showing up prepared and ready to work. Mm. Um, someone who has devoted their life to a discipline, um, which can translate for their future in so many different ways, whether it's to um, go off and to become an attorney or to spend the rest of their lives in this business we call show. Mm-hmm. So we really uh, focus on the individual here at conservatory. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I would say to describe the, the Webster conservatory student, somebody who is grounded in a balanced um, method of theater practice. Uh-huh. And imagining all those things are true. How am I going to come out change? Let's say I show up as a freshman and I'm curious and I'm all those things that you just mentioned curricularly, what are you taking me through over those four years? And, and how am I going to come out with additional skills um, having gone through the program? Well, that's a great question. And specifically to, to Webster, I will say that probably one of the number one reasons that students choose the Webster Conservatory possibly over another uh, wonderful program is because they, they realize that if they come to study uh, getting a BFA in musical theater from the Sargent Conservatory of Theater Arts, they will be an actor first. So mm-hmm. there is an eight semester sequence to the three legs of classical theater training stool, which is the acting voice and speech and movement. They're mm-hmm. taking those three courses, eight semester sequence lockstep with the acting majors. And then in addition to that, they're taking their musical theater class in conservatory. And actually one of my uh, tasks over the last 15 years is to take the musical theater classes and line them up with the sequential values that happen from year one to year Mm -hmm. two to year three to year four. Um, So that's what they're going to come out a storyteller. Uh, We have actors who uh, for whatever reason, the majority of our acting majors can sing as well as our musical Mm -hmm. theater majors. They can take voice lessons and dance classes from the same teachers in a true liberal arts college sense of the word. And, um, a perfect example, we just closed The Learned Ladies, which is a Moliere comedy piece, and three of the three of the leads were musical theater majors, and then coming up, our musical will be Amelie, and the lead character, Amelie, is an acting major. Mm. So uh, the musical theater majors are cast in plays, acting majors are cast in musicals. 
So, uh, and then I have six actors in my musical theater dance class, as well as three dance majors and 12 musical theater majors. So really at the end of the day, if you put storytelling in the middle and all the ways we tell story, which is through the spoken word, through singing and dancing, all of the students in conservatory are able to um, be able to do that in some way. I love it. And you've answered three of my questions with that one answer. You, you anticipated two of my future questions really beautifully. Um, so uh, imagining, so now you feel like more of a like storytelling focus or acting focus of a school. Talk me through a little bit the dance and singing in terms of, first, how does the dance work with stuff like levels um, in terms of how you would take classes? And then tell me a little bit about the, what is the singing and music training that I would get um, as well? Sure. Well, uh, the Saturday before... Uh, Classes start on that following Monday. Uh, throughout the summer, Who, uh, if you've been accepted and you are coming to Webster, you'll get um, a form to fill out from the head of voice faculty, Martha Hart, who asks you about your previous vocal training and questions like, what kind of teacher do you prefer? Do you prefer a male teacher? Do you prefer a female teacher? Do you prefer a non-binary teacher? You know, what, what do you prefer? And then... Um, we take that information and the Saturday before classes start, all the musical theater students uh, show up at the recital hall. All of the voice faculty are there, as well as the musical theater faculty, as well as the department of music chair and the head of voice faculty. We ask you to come in and sing a ballad. It's not about the fireworks. It's not about singing loud. It's just about, mm -hmm. we wanna hear your, your voice. And the faculty listen and place you with a teacher that they feel is going to help your weak area. Mm. Then we go to the dance uh, room and uh, uh, the dance studio and we, um, I'm dating myself, the dance room. <laughs> we go to the dance studio and we, uh, we have a really fun warm up and across the floor and we teach a combination. And I sit in council with Department of Dance Chair, Maggie Duker. And usually about two to three of our students level go into ballet two. Mm -hmm. That's usually what happens. Most of them will stick into ballet one. You only have enough room in your curriculum to take ballet one in the first year. However, a lot of my freshmen, especially in the spring, will audit my musical theater dance class. Uh -huh. um, and we, I certainly encourage that. Um, and then by the time you get to your sophomore year, uh, I don't know how they're able to do this, but I have a lot on paper. It looks like you're just going to take jazz and tap. Mm -hmm. But in fact, a lot of my students will go ahead and enroll in four dance classes. They'll be, they'll Ooh. maintain their ballet classes. They'll take jazz tap and they'll stop by with musical theater dance. So mm -hmm. they're taking anywhere between 12 and 15 dance classes a week. Um, and that's just because they realize that that's, that's something that they really need to be able to do is to move well or to be a, um, a kick butt dancer. You know, uh -huh. uh, that's a that's a, a great entry level for a lot of summer stock, as we all know. And that sounds like it's a little bit optional for student student that I could take just the two dance classes if I don't feel you I could. want. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. And again, there are certain dictates when you're getting a, a saturated degree like a BFA in musical theater where to graduate from the university, it's 120 credits and 116 of those are required mm -hmm. for a BFA in musical theater because you're always in one of three departments. Um, but it is a liberal arts university. So we still have that ethos where you come to me and you want to take that many dance classes, we'll make it happen. 
mm-hmm. you feel like you need more time to sleep or rest and you, you, you know, know yourself by the end of your first year, we'll, um, we're actually getting ready to register coming back from, uh, from spring break in the next several weeks. Um, you know, that's a conversation and we do everything we can to support your needs mm-hmm. in that way. Well, and pure, perfect segue here as you talk about the liberal arts of the university. I'd love to talk about kind of outside of the theater program, obviously realizing it's a conservatory. So there's a lot of acting, singing, dancing training going on. But what do I get access to outside of the conservatory in terms of Webster as a, a broader university? Yeah, I, I like that question. I'm going to be honest. It's a little bit of a catch 22 because one of the things we say in our opening company meeting is have a life, you know, get out there and have a life. Uh, and try to find those things outside of the theater that you might be passionate about. Um, but the truth is that's that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. And and I'm also a mentor and advisor, right? So many times I I will um, talk with the students about becoming involved in other activities. Uh, we do have, like a lot of schools, there are many uh, different uh, clubs that the school has. The reality of our students being able to participate fully in those clubs is mm-hmm. not realistic in a lot of ways because it's pretty much 24-7. You know, even though you're not performing in the first year, which is an additional 25 hours a week, right, basically, mm-hmm. when you're in rehearsals for a show, they do have their crew requirements but we want them to be in studio to acquire and absorb the work. So there's a lot of journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot, it's a lot more academic than you might think because of the text analysis and the worksheets that have to be turned in. Um, so we also, you're away from home for the first time. You're learning how to adult, do laundry, fix food. So they don't perform the first year, but starting in the second year, you're into casting and that's full mm-hmm. on and full throttle. In addition, you're still doing your one crew a semester. Mm-hmm. So, and the second year acting class for us is, is um, I would call it more clinical. Uh, the first year is about exploring and about, about discovery and about discovering your, how you move through space, how you're breathing, where your tensions are, mm-hmm. what it means to be a good actor in relationship. And the second year, there's a lot of analysis and a lot of a lot of who, what, why, where, when, a lot of prompt books, a lot of text analysis, and then the application of that. So uh, it's a lot more academic in the second year on top of being cast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think that's synonymous, I would, I would guess, Charlie, with a lot of programs, right? That they're, that they're, you know, that second year is the big hump. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the third year and fourth year, and you're now you're applying stuff more in the third year and fourth year, you're fine tuning. So. No doubt. But so you're saying in some ways, if I'm a parent of a student, especially, and I'm saying, oh, I'm going to go to Webster and I will get a double major or I'll sneak that minor in or that kind of thing. You're saying realistically that is going to be difficult. Yeah. And I'm quite honest when those kinds of questions continue to come up, like maybe the third or second time Mm -hmm. if a parent or a student asks that question, I will say, you know, there are some really excellent BA programs that Mm -hmm. you can go to to still be able to participate in a really good theater program and, and have another uh, major outside of it. But uh, the conservatory, two analogies. One is like a four-year boot camp, mm-hmm. like a, a military boot camp where, you know, you come in uh, falling down and I say, you know, and now give me 200 more push-ups. 
But there's another analogy I use, which is uh, training for the Olympics, right? You, you make the Olympic team when you get into this program and then you have four years to train and you're, that's our senior showcase, which is happening this next week. Mm-hmm. And they're hoping to medal, right? Which in some cases is to get an agent or, mm-hmm. or in some cases, it's actually to right there on the spot. They want you to go in for a mm-hmm. show. Two years ago, just before the world shut down, we had three students who got auditions for Hamilton uh, as a result of the senior showcase. And mm-hmm. that was scheduled for Friday and everything shut down on Thursday. So, But they're still on the list. Two years later, they're still on the list. Heck yes. So uh, that the that uh, that is the Olympics, right? And yeah. so, Olympic athlete has to be aware of their, you know, their 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 sleep, their their um, their diet, their mindset, mm-hmm. right? There's just so much that goes into becoming that kind of an elite athlete, and I I kind of approach conservatory in that same vein, actually. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I love how many athletics analogies you're making, even from like, it sounds like the beginning is like a combine, right? Where you're like seeing all the different skills and people are going, you're for my team. You're for, that's really, I appreciate that. This podcast makes a lot of athletics metaphors as well. Uh, In our takeaways, we do a lot of That's a slam dunk, man. It's pretty good. Knock it out of the Um, park. (laughs) let's wrap up this section with you know i always like to ask uh, professors when they have those conversations like you're having with those parents and saying maybe there may be another school for you when they find that a student chooses not to go to webster let's say they have a bunch of great options like a lot of our students have great options right now and they're they're narrowing them down and trying to make decisions why do you find that they say you know here's why i'm going to go in this different direction as opposed to to going to webster i love this question when um when our acceptances go out and they're actually going out, probably as you and I are having this podcast, the acceptances are going out, but I've already reached out to uh, those students so they know they're accepted. I always put into that email that I want you to understand that should you choose not to come to Webster, I will still do a cartwheel and support you in every which way because Number one, you found the place that you feel is right for you, for you. but also you'll be done with this long process, <laughs> all the preparation, all the auditions. Now you've made a choice and you're going to go to a school that you have, you've done your research, you've been thorough, you know, perhaps you visited Webster, but then you went and looked at Vicki Bussert's wonderful program at Baldwin Wallace and you've chosen that. I think Baldwin Wallace is where I want to be. I I couldn't be happier for you because we've made our decision, but it's now it's not our decision. It's our turn to wait. It's it's the student's decision. So I I make it very clear to the parents and the students. And and when I do get those emails that say, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to be coming to Webster. Thank you very much. But we're going to be going elsewhere. I always respond with, I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. I really want the parents and students to know that, um, that we are very supportive and that we're honored that we were part of their college audition process because looking at Webster helped them mm-hmm. get into a pipeline of the things. I'm sure there were things probably hopefully about Webster that they really, really like, but, but then they take those and they look at this other program and maybe it could be just simple as topography. Sometimes mm-hmm. people want to go to Pace or Marymount Manhattan and be uh, stimulated by the the, the, the the energy of New York City where their mm-hmm. dream is just 20 or 30 or 40 blocks up or downtown from wherever they're going to school. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want to go to uh, University of Oklahoma where 
football is big or Indiana where they're going to be going to basketball games or Michigan where they're going to paint their faces blue and have that college experience. I don't want to take that away from them. If they're going to come to Webster, it's tucked away in this little Midwestern community and you can walk two or three minutes either any direction and you're into the suburbs, right? And Mm -hmm. so uh, that might be very appealing to some students and to some students. Maybe they love the curriculum. They just don't want to be in this kind of environment. So Mm -hmm. It's like seven things that they have to consider for each of the schools, right? It's so true. And and it's I'll say, as someone who helps these students, it is really appreciated that you do write those emails and say, I support you, you know, as opposed to saying, no, you should come to us or what, you know, it, it's, you're right, the students have the power for the first time after maybe sometimes two years of this process saying, please take me, please take me. Now they actually have the moment where they get to go, I get to make a choice and it is very uncomfortable for them. You can tell they really feel uncomfortable saying no to someone who they wanted so badly to say yes to them. And just that little bit of release I know means a lot to those students to know this person's still in your corner. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I'm a parent and I, I usually tell them, you know, I have four kids and I want for you what I want for my own four kids, which is to find the place that's right for you. So I, I, I usually say, okay, I got my dad hat on now. I'm going to say this thing. And then I say, I'm going to put my Webster hat on now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 do, I do value the process that these parents and I value people like yourself, Charlie, that do such an incredibly great job at mentoring these kids and helping them um, do the best they can possibly do in these auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a heck of a process. And it's one, I'll say it again, it's one that I really feel very honored to be part of, that these kids and families are deciding to devote their lives to a fine art. I mean, what? That takes a lot of love and support and courage. And I, I'm happy to be part of it. A great place to end. We'll do a cue to a short little break. And on the back end of the break, we'll chat a little bit about the audition process for Webster. Can't wait. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. We are back with the great Lara Teeter. Um, in short, I'd love to talk about the audition process. And I know this is a really complicated answer, but um, if there's a tidbit about kind of what you feel like makes a great audition for you, what, what you really look for when you see a student in person. Uh Constantine Stanislavski said something that I realized after many years, I kept talking about this process and somebody mentioned this maybe three years ago and I went, that's it. And his quote was, learn to love the art in yourself rather than yourself in the art. Mm-hmm. And it, it dawned on me that that's one of the things that we look for. Um, 
when you first come into the audition, we call you over to the table and we sit down and we ask you questions and we get to know you. And I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to uh, know that what we're doing is getting your breath to drop. We're getting you to realize that we're just human mm-hmm. and we're just there to support you and want you to feel comfortable. And then at some point I'll say, so what are your pieces? And they just, you know, give them the pieces. And, and I say, well, why don't we just do them? And they get up and sometimes they'll ask, do I need to slate? And I said, no, you've already done that. Just mm-hmm. Take your time and do your work. And then they do their pieces. Sometimes we give an adjustment. Sometimes we don't. And I know they've heard this before, but it really, sometimes we really have seen everything we need to see, especially Mm -hmm. if we're on a clock and we need to move on. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do love to give adjustments because in that adjustment, if a student is able to take an adjustment, it's very telling. If they're set in their ways and they're hard to move off of a particular uh, thing they've practiced, that's that's very telling to us. And it mm-hmm. sounds kind of cruel, actually, as I'm saying in this moment. But those are things that we can't really know uh, or take a risk on if they're not able to to move or budge. Uh, so it's the interview. It's the adjustment. It's the person um, that we are really looking for a, a person who loves the art in themselves. It's like, if this is something I can't deny, it just has to come out of me. Hmm. And here's what I also say, Charlie, about, about the other, which is the, the student that loves themselves in the art. There's not, I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's a sense of confidence. There's a sense of, I'm going to come in, I'm going to hit my mark and mm-hmm. I'm going to deliver the goods. And I am saying all the right things. And um, you know, I, this is a clean, solid audition. Because quite frankly, you and I both know that some programs, that's what they want to see. They don't want to get to know you right now. They just want to get an essence of you. Very much like auditioning for Telsey in New York, right? They're not going to sit down and talk to you. They want you to walk in and deliver. Mm -hmm. And um, so nothing wrong with that at all. But I feel like the person, the, the kid and their desire to be curious uh, is really important for us. Also, I always ask why Webster and, you know, if it's a walk-in, that's not a problem. But if, mm-hmm. if a student is really interested and invested in Webster, and I know you coach this, Charlie, I know you do, you <laughs> know who you're auditioning for, know the program before you walk in. It's really important, kids, if you're listening and parents, do even, you don't have to like spend an hour, but like, even if it's just before you walk in, Open up the website, look at a couple of key things that catch your eye. That's all it takes. You don't have to have the whole curriculum memorized. That's kind of the, there's there's no perfect science, right? We're just looking for For someone we feel is going to thrive and prosper in what we have to offer. We know more about that than the students do themselves. So they're just kind of coming in blind and we're asking them questions. Some of the questions we ask are obviously my Webster, but also what else are you interested in outside mm-hmm. of the arts? Uh, uh, if you Is there something you'd like us to know about yourself or share about yourself that we can't necessarily see in your pieces mm-hmm. or on the resume here? You know, um, just trying to get them to open up and talk about themselves, you know? And other than that, that kind of inflexibility, which can be a bit of a red flag, is there anything else that you sort of see in auditions that you'd say, this this would be a red flag or this would, would be a pet peeve or something that turns me off if I see this in a, a student's audition? 
Oh man, that's such a good question. And I'm going to just really think about that to make sure I'm not just giving you a good answer. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with a good answer. I, I like, I like what you just said about red flags, right? Red flags that I, I always refer to, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Malcolm, um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. Absolutely. Malcolm, I, I teach it all the time when I'm talking about okay, your okay. first impressions. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Blink, as you can tell from the title, is that we have these Blink moments where we just know. We, mm -hmm. we I mean, and I always use the, the thing: you can be standing in Starbucks, and you know, you might say one thing to somebody standing in line, and you realize that you could probably become fast friends with them. You know, they're just uh -huh. something that you make a comment, and they make a repartee, and you kind of, you kind of have a moment. Or the other is true: like you steer clear, and so. Mm -hmm. Uh, an audition is a blink moment, and it's mm -hmm. just it's just that moment where what is a red flag? Well, I'm sure that Megan, who thank you, Megan, for being here and taking care of Charlie and I in this interview. But <laughs> Megan, Charlie, myself, anyone who's listening, you have your own list of of red flags, right? And it could be any number of things. It could be um, something that is said or. If a person is walking in, or here's a couple of them. If I'm ushering somebody in, I'm monitoring, you know, I'm like the monitor and I'm walking them in and I'm saying, how's your day going? And they start with, oh, you know, I'm just really mm -hmm. tired. And, or they say, well, I hope this audition is better than my last audition. You know, uh, I, that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm you so know? sorry I made you come in here. I'm so sorry that I forced you to do this audition. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But again, I, I, I don't hold it against a student because a lot of times I feel like they don't know what they don't know. Right In that moment, I don't hold it against them. I, I quite honestly hold the either the parent or the teacher or the college prep person, no, no offense, but I kind, of like, you know, I, I kind of feel like somebody has not guided this. So interesting mm -hmm. about those moments. I actually go the other direction when, when those red flags come up. I actually try to see a little bit of light. Mm -hmm. I try to steer the conversation or I try to, to see if they take the bait, but more times than not, they don't. They're already stuck in their funk. And, you know, life is too precious for us in, in conservatory. So ensemble and the ability to be supportive of one another is really important to mm -hmm. us. Another red flag is if they make the pieces about them as opposed to the person they're trying to affect in the monologue or trying mm -hmm. to affect in the song. But that usually comes through in an adjustment mm -hmm. where we, you know, ask the question that you teach them, which is who are you mm -hmm. singing to and why? What's the beat before? Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, And how are these answers? I mean, that's a, some really wonderful answers about the audition process. How has that changed in terms of what you're looking for with a pre-screen audition, right? Because if I understand you guys don't require pre-screens, but do accept them so they can they can send them in what you're looking for from the pre-screen audition how does that change from maybe what the uh, um, what you're looking for in a live audition? well it's the same i mean you know we all self-tapes are never going to go away the, these idea of uploading these things are never going to go away mm -hmm. and uh here's the other thing about those kinds of moments is that you can you can redo them if there's a mistake right mm -hmm. But also it's interesting, I, I'm glad you brought this up because it's so much a part of a culture now, is that, you know, 
I can see very clearly the minute the person introduces themselves that they are either doing one of two things. They're doing this as an assignment, meaning this is mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing, or they're seizing an opportunity to establish a relationship. Um, and I say this in class too. It's like, you know, we'll finish like an, uh, an all skate of doing whatever, like a golden era, uh, golden age ballads, right? Mm -hmm. Which we're getting ready to do this Friday. It's like, and I'll, I'll ask the question of, did you do this? How many of you did this as an assignment or how many of you did this as an opportunity to, to grow? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like busted. Uh-huh. Yeah. I did what I was told I was supposed to do. So that first moment where I see a student up on that screen is the same. They're in the room, right? They're in a room. It's just uh -huh. a virtual room, but it's so whatever they can do to make eye contact with that camera and whether they're, I don't know what their imagination can possibly do. It's, it's a skill, right? Mm -hmm. Auditioning. That's why we're here, right? Auditioning. This is why you do what you do. Auditioning is a skill. You can be a great singer. You can be a great actor, but if mm -hmm. you can't be in a room and audition, it's, it's not good. It's, it's mm -hmm. going to, you're, you're spending your life doing, this is your job. I, I've often tell my students to get business cards that says, you know, professional auditioner. <laughs> That's your job. That's what you so do. True. It's so true. I was thinking about that the other day. I was helping my partner with a self-tape and the work was great. Everything about the scene worked. And the note I gave her, which is like the worst note you can ever give a human being, uh -oh. is like, can we do that again? But like, I think because this is like a TV sitcom, I think I need to like, like you. Like I was like, I didn't really seem like I liked you too much. And un which is a terrible note. I mean, that's, I would only give that to a, a partner, never to a student. She took the note beautifully. Like there was a difference about her being able to go. So let me do it in a way that like somebody, I'm introducing myself to these people. I was like the, the sardonic humor, all of that's working. It just feels like I would, I don't like you in this take. And then in this take, I like you. Which, yeah, that's again, a great note, actually. That's a great note. I want if, to if all 17 year olds can turn that on in the room to say, I'm going to make Lara like me, you know, that's well, and not here's, quite that easy. here's the truth. And this is true at Telsey, just as it, it's true for you and your partner. It's just as it's true for Webster. I have a problem. I'm sitting right. behind a desk. I have a problem. I have the class of 2026 that I have to go find. I want you to come in and solve my problem. Mm -hmm. Walk in and say, I'm exactly what you're looking for. Because I've done my research and I know a couple of people who are actually in your program. And these are the mm -hmm. things they tell me about the program. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's a great fit. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to estimate for you how much of the decision is based on the kind of skill displayed within the material versus those intangibles, the interview questions, the adjustments, does it feel like it leans more heavily in one direction or the other in terms of like what will get an artistic yes from you? Is it about the, the first or, or the second or some combination of the two? Oh, man, that's a really excellent question. I, I'm actually going to say in this moment, I think it's the interview. Mm -hmm. um, here's what I'll tell you. The long and short list that we start out with, which is basically, you know, out, out of the hundreds that we see, it's the long short list, I call it, which is something about this person that we feel could thrive. Mm -hmm. And in that long and short list, it actually is two piles. It's the yes, maybe, and the yes. Mm -hmm. The yeses are those that click all the boxes. The interview mm -hmm. is great. You know, the vocals are great. They take great adjustments. It's like, you know, this is, this is, 
how to build a program. But the yes, maybe's mm-hmm. maybe vocally they're a little under, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe they're maybe their acting is it is okay, but then they really run with the adjustment. Mm-hmm. And then uh, sometimes in my book I have this big heart I draw. It's like I love this person, this person, I love this person so much mm-hmm. that I want to, I can't say no to them right, right now, because there's something about them that is like a really excellent student. And that's what we want. Yes, we want talent, but we really above and beyond that. Love this question, Charlie, really good. Above and beyond that, we really want an excellent student. And so that would override if there was a vocal issue, if there was something you go, I just need this person because of yes. the human being they are for you. Yeah. And I would say that the accept list right now that we have, there are a couple of yes, maybes on that, on that list uh-huh. that mean, means that there were yeses uh-huh. that clicked all the boxes, but the uh-huh. yes, maybes just because of, and sometimes I couldn't even tell you why it's just, I have a powerful go. enough force that yeah. you know, this overrode. That's a really cool. Yeah. But, and then what about, you mentioned from, from the teaching perspective, more acting would be the number one of the three legs of the stool for you. Yes, very from, much. As you're evaluating um, as an auditioner, is it also the number one thing you're looking for? Or the, how does it evaluate acting versus singing versus dance? And if I'm maybe not quite as strong in one of the categories, is it a holistic score? Or do I drop one of the disciplines? Or how does that work for you? Well, I'll give I'll put it to you this way. And particularly in Chicago, when we have two rooms running, right? The acting room and the musical theater room. And there's a waiting room mm-hmm. there in Chicago. And so... Someone comes in and let's say that the acting room has an open, well, much more open schedule, which is usually the case than, mm-hmm. than our room, right? And the minute the person sits down, the minute they open their mouth to sing a song, I'll say, I want to hold a second because I want you to meet our acting faculty mm-hmm. and I want them to, to, to work with you and your monologues. I could, I could listen. I could definitely do them and make a decision there, but in that moment, I really like sending them to the acting faculty. And then this is what happens at lunch. We sit down and we say, we really love this person. What did you think? And they go, absolutely. You know, the sweet spot is what they say. Well, if you don't want them for musical theater, they've applied for both acting and musical theater. Mm-hmm. We'll take them for acting. Mm-hmm. That's how much they like them. But if then, then there's two other answers they'll give. They'll say, okay. Right. That their mm-hmm. acting skill is if you really like them for musical theater, we'll say, OK. Then the other one is could not get an adjustment out of them, mm-hmm. could not. You know, um, I didn't feel this energy that you felt from them. Those people will more often than not. Now, there are rare cases we'll hold on to, but more often than not, they'll fall off the list because uh-huh. they can't take that acting adjustment. I was sure when you began that story that somehow the waiting room was going to be the most important of the rooms. I had well, acting room, musical theater room, and I was like, what's he going to say about the waiting room? You cued it so well. Can I talk about the wait? May I? Please do. Okay. Love the waiting room because you go in and you see people waiting and, and there's the parents are there sometimes very telling, right? Very telling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll give an example. One time we came in and the dad was sitting there while the the daughter was fixing her, her getting herself ready for the audition. He was filling out all her forms for her. Mm-hmm. And that, that tells a story, right? And that story did not change when she came into the room. Mm-hmm. Very talented, 
very, very talented. But we, and then there's a student that um, will sit and wait for an extra 45 minutes because suddenly we get behind and there's two people that have another audition to go for. And they're sitting there and they say, no problem. I'll wait. No, they, they need to go. They need to catch a plane. They can go before me. Right. So before they've even come in the room and I'll tell them that I'll go up and say, thank you so much. Come on in. We already love you because you're so gracious. And, you know, that kind of a a person who is supportive of the room. And then, you know, there's the the energy suckers, you know, that sometimes the person signing, signing it in, they'll they'll knock on our door and come in and say, this kid and the mom is is driving me nuts. Yep. And we just say, got it. No, no problem. Gotcha. And man, if if this isn't how the business works, Charlie, right? I mean, this is how it the so business does. works. Yep. So and so I always the, feel my heart goes out to them when it's maybe too. the parent, but not the student when you go, oh, God, the, if this, the parent is going to weigh more heavily on you and it's really not your fault. But but yes, of course, that that can be how it works. Yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a thing. It's a real thing. The waiting room is a yep. real thing. <laughs> But so let's imagine I've gotten yes. I've gotten an artistic yes from acting from the musical theater room. The waiting room was a fantastic for me. So everything's working from my audition perspective. What needs um, to now pass the Webster University um, portal for it all in terms of what do I need in terms of is there anything grades, SAT wise? How does that factor in? If you artistically say the yes, um, yeah, how does that then work you know, with actually be? I'll compare us to someplace, and I think it's maybe Elon or Ithaca, where they're great. They're, they're just to get into the university, you have to have less, something like a 3.7 or 3.8, mm-hmm. which I know the people in those programs, it's, it's awful for them in so many ways because sometimes they just can't get a student because they don't make the grade. For us, it's not that big of a deal. I think it's something like 2.5. So it's it's most of the people who come to Webster University are within a three um, zip code radius, mm-hmm. except for conservatory. And we're from all over, not just the United States, but this last mm-hmm. year, thanks to virtual auditions, we have someone from Colombia and someone from Peru. Mm-hmm. So we were able to, to bring in that uh, inclusion diversity into our program, which has been very exciting for us. So cool. Um, and when that leads me perfectly to my, my last little wrap up couple questions here, um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of some of the challenges of now of 2022 and beyond in terms of kind of where we are in, in this yeah. world and, and talk a, a little bit about the adjustments that you have made over the past couple of years um, in terms of both those discussions around equity and inclusion and some of the, the demands for racial equity that came up, especially in 2020, but then also just some of these challenges of a virtual world in terms of how things have shifted since uh, all those 10 years ago when the pandemic began. Um, so I take it whatever direction when you go in there, but I'd love to hear a little bit how you've adjusted in the past couple of years. I love this question, and it's one that I'm happy, more than happy to talk about. There are two things that take center stage in conservatory right now. Number one is wellness. Uh, All of us listening in on this podcast right now and all you parents and all you students understand that our culture is under a a, a lot right now. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of medication, a lot of stress, a lot of worry. Uh, And a lot of it is due to, you know, the... The, the phone and Instagram and all that kinds of stuff. Um, the other thing is in 2020, the fall of 2020, like many programs, our AOCC, Actors of Color Coalition, which was made up of both the alumni 
and the current students on both the technical and performance side submitted a petition to the conservatory. And our dean and chair lovingly responded, thank you. And it was basically calling us to task, calling us out in terms of not being an anti-racist theater company. So over the last two years, we have worked really hard with our alumni and with our current student population. Uh, and we are every day working hard to become an anti-racist theater company. Um, we, and, and what does that mean? That means we're making changes in curriculum, we're making changes in material, we're making changes in season selection. Um, and uh, so we were hoping to present to the conservatory uh, a new mission statement and an anti-racist theater ethos this last fall. Mm -hmm. But during the meetings, we kept coming around to the same questions. Well, what do you think the students would think about this? And some people would say, I think the students would, would uh, appreciate this statement, but then we always circled back, but we don't, we can't speak for them. So mm -hmm. we scrapped that idea and we came in and, and made it voluntary. I'm, I'm part of this for faculty and the students could volunteer to be part of a year long process whereby we would rewrite the mission statement and create an anti-racist theater ethos. We just had one of our meetings the other day and it is inspiring to, to see the direction that we're going. We've got a long way to go, but we're working really hard at becoming an anti-racist theater and um, and we're in order to do that, what I what we did for the musical theater side of things, the acting was a different situation. But for musical theater this year, we did something we've never done before, which is that we did rolling admissions, meaning that we made offers to people on the spot this year for the first time ever. And we made a decision for musical theater in order to do that, that those those early spots needed to be reserved for our BIPOC community, our black mm -hmm. indigenous people of color. Um, now there were many, many uh, Caucasian talented people uh, that we wanted to jump across the desk and make those, those offers mm -hmm. to, but we, we reserved it for that community. Um, and as a result, three people have already said yes before the, the letters are just about to go out because it gave them a chance to be done with their process. They, they, they knew they were really seriously considering Webster. Some of them were able, actually able to book an early visit, right, mm -hmm. to come and see us and then to say yes. And we still have those that are out and we're giving them the time they need to make those decisions. But that's all in the, that's all part of what we're, everything we're doing, we're, we're not leaving any stone unturned in terms of what can we do to become more diverse and more inclusionary. That's beautifully said. And then if you want to talk a little bit about the virtual world and how you've pivoted and now maybe are beginning the pivot back or, you know, sort of uh, 2020 and slash 2021, of course, was, uh, had a lot of hybridity and uh, um, virtualness to it. And so what has stayed from that and what is going to continue forward with you, if anything, in terms of like kind of lessons from the, that time? Yeah, we, we went ahead and added a, a, a virtual day uh, to our auditions this year. Uh, we tried to make sure that it were that it was filled with people who in no way, shape or form could either see us on campus in New York, mm -hmm. in L.A. or in Chicago. Um, and so if if it was just working out because of Omicron kind of did nasty things to Oof. people's plans. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and speaking of that, we were able to 
in all of those places, both on campus in New York, Chicago, LA, we had our laptops with us. And so throughout the day in Chicago, for instance, very, very often we had three to five uh, virtual auditions. They kept their same time at the, yeah. at the Unifieds, but we opened up our cute computers and uh, met them. And many of them actually are on, a, as it turns out, quite a few are on our accept list. So mm-hmm. those worked out really well for us. So yes, this is not going away. Mm-hmm. We all know it. I mean, the in-room skills will always be there too. That's not, that's not going to go away. But I'm in any of these casting offices right now, and our students are going to do with their senior showcase this next week. They all have their website up and running that, you mm-hmm. know, it'll be part of their packets when they do their showcase. So if the, if the agents or casting directors need to see anything else, they just have to go on and make clicks and they can they can see everything they need to see, whether it's their dance ability or their their uh, film work or their scene work or their songs. It's so, so true. Uh, we may regret or we may, we may wish some parts of it would go away and some, we wouldn't have to do so many self-tapes, but it, certainly from a convenience perspective, that's not going anywhere. I mean, there's just it's it. too... Most of the students I talked to didn't mind it. They, they realized that there was a comfort kind of sitting in their little setup in their homes where mm-hmm. it caused a, a sense of comfort and ease for them in, in many cases where they thought, you know, I'd say, how's it going? How's all the... Actually, I kind of this is going great for me, you know. Uh, not sign everybody of being feels young. that way. Comfort is not how it feels for me. I go, oh god, it's set up, and oh man, yeah. yeah. I love to wrap with you know, especially speaking to maybe a young student who's um, either maybe beginning their process if they're a sophomore or junior right now, or maybe they're a senior, kind of wrapping up their process. Is there any kind of um, perspective advice that you'd want to give to one of those students as they kind of look at Webster um, and as they look at sort of their their process as a whole? I would say live with the question, you know, don't, don't feel like that you have to come up with an answer until you're ready to come up with an answer. I would also say be, be, be careful with getting caught up in the zeitgeist of everything. It's like, oh, this program, oh, you got to do this or you got to do that. You know, sit down with your family if you can and talk about what you, what you want, what you're looking for, what you need. Mm -hmm. And really, um, I think, and I'm sure, Charlie, again, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I get it, right? The parents do need to talk to each other because they feel like they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I always tell parents, it's pretty simple. You just love, uh, feed them and make sure they get their rest and stay academically solvent, you know, stay mm-hmm. academically disciplined. Don't, don't, you know, they don't need to be doing every show. You know, they need to be like getting rest, especially approaching their fall semester of your senior year. Mm-hmm. Just take a step back and give yourself a little grace. And um, I always tell people to go sit under a tree. And what that means is stop your mind and just mm-hmm. kind of smell the roses and, and, and gently make a list of pros and cons and let the answer come. Don't feel like you have to force it. You have till mm-hmm. May 1st. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest, and my admissions office probably won't like me saying this on this podcast, but if a student is accepted into Webster and they 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 don't let us know by May 1st and sometime in July or August, they come back and say, I feel like I made a mistake and I, I would hope that I can still be accepted into Webster. We're going to say you're coming. Mm-hmm. We're not going to turn them down. We want we gave you a letter. And just mm-hmm. because you missed the deadline doesn't mean we're going to shut the door. 
Yeah. Well, we appreciate that. We're going to cut that. that. Bleep. There should be one. When you hear one loud bleep on the pod, we'll know what that is. No, but not not unique in in terms of that. The the porous membrane of that May first, especially as waitlist happened late and all those things. That sure. it feels so momentous. But of course, they're people. It's a people business. So it, if it is someone That's to it. say, I made this mistake. I, this was the right place for me. Of, of course. Yeah. Um, that was great advice. I love the idea of sitting under a tree, especially if you're not going to Instagram the moment. You know, that's what's tough is you get into nature and you need to jump on the phone. But if you actually can sit and not be on the phone, that's uh, a positive thing. Yeah, stillness is an important – stillness is the most um, uh, is the most important movement and silence is the most important sound, I feel. Mm. Well, not a better way to end the pod than that. Um, <laughs> I, I got to say – Thank you so much, Lara. This was such a pleasure to get a chat with you. My pleasure. Hey now, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lara as much as I did. He is such a warm and generous spirit of a man, and I thought so clear and insightful about his program and this process. Um, I also really appreciated getting to chat about his children a bit off the air. Congrats to his daughter, who's joining the Broadway cast of Beetlejuice. Very excited. And it really kind of solidified some of that like aspirational dad vibes, which I didn't realize I'd already kind of been like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of his dad vibes. But now I'm even more so as we got to talk about his kids. Um, <laughs> there's so much great stuff to dive in here, uh, some of which we've done before. So I, I love the idea. If you haven't listened to Ethan Slater's episode of are you doing it as an assignment or as an opportunity for growth? Uh, we talk about that a lot. We talk about the concept of learning for yourself. That Ethan brings on. Similarly, I think you will be shocked that I don't take the opportunity to chat more about the Olympics even though that is a metaphor we often make. And this podcast does not often pass up an opportunity to make a sports analogy. Um, But I landed on doing a deeper dive into this idea of intangibles, um, especially as they're seen in some of the interstitial parts of an audition that go beyond the material itself. Since I thought Lara talked so candidly and beautifully about how important they are for him in an audition room. And you hear we ask every faculty member, not for everybody is it the most important thing. So people talk about different amounts and, you know, you can't hold them to whatever percentage they say exactly in, in on the spot. But we've talked about some of these aspects in uh, previous episodes, especially in relationship to adjustments and how important adjustments are when you're given them um, and kind of what the schools might be looking for there. But I thought this would be a good opportunity just to define what we mean by all those different parts of an audition. When we talk about what happens in an audition room that goes beyond just the material, this is what we're going to talk about. So this is by no means comprehensive or definitive, but this is how I like to break down a college audition into about seven parts. The first part being the entrance slash intro, and I'm putting that together into one thing, entrance and intro. The second is the slate. The third is prep. The fourth is work. The fifth is interview. The sixth is adjustment. And the seventh is like exit slash conclusion. And now almost all of those parts can move around in where they happen in the audition room. But in many auditions, a lot of them will happen. Not necessarily all seven, to Lara's point, you don't always get an adjustment. You almost always will get some interview as far as interview means talking to you in some way will almost always happen. And basically all the other things will happen in every audition, Um, but sometimes will happen in different orders. So let's go into those a little bit more specifically. That entrance slash intro, for me, that's what we're talking about with the blink moment, right? Can you take a second to say hello and bring your actual self into the room and maybe even go beyond not just introducing yourself to the auditors and kind of presenting yourself, but actually take a moment to meet them too. 
just like what you'll ideally do in the interview. And this really is all part of the interview when you think about um, how you introduce yourself. It should be a reciprocal process. It should be that both I'm speaking and also listening in the experience. It sounds weird to say listening when you're introducing yourselves, but really listening to to the other people behind the table and, and really meet, meeting them. It's so important, and I know we've hit a bit of this before, that in your intro, you choose to enter the room and bring yourself in and not be brought in by someone else saying it's time. Of course, literally you're brought in the room by someone else saying it's your time. But for you to choose, I'm stepping into this room. And that first blink moment, some of the what, what might interrupt a positive blink could be because you are in that negative space worrying about your previous audition, where you are so nervous that you're not, you don't feel like you're ready to actually start, as opposed to saying, I'm actually walking in and here I'm going to take a moment to really introduce myself. That will help you get that higher percentage of, of positive blinkitude. Blinkitude's a weird word. Um, then that's slate. And now the biggest thing I'll say about slate here as in terms of mistakes that I see is that this slate should be divorced from your intro, meaning it is not the same thing to introduce yourself and to slate your pieces. Slate just means for those of you who don't know that before saying, here's the pieces I'll be working on. Often it's, I'll start with this song and that might be all you say. Sometimes they'll ask you, what are you gonna do for me today? And you might list both songs. You might list both songs and all your monologues if it's a room where you're doing both. So it's not to say that those two things could never happen together where you would introduce yourself and then you would slate. Often they'll tell you outside the room if that is going to happen. They'll say, hey, you're going to go in and just when you're there, introduce yourself, slate and jump right in, right? They may just say slate and jump right in and they'll be looping in the introduce, introduction into that slate. But even if you're given that cue, even if there is no gap, trying to find how to say, not to say I'm Charlie Murphy and my first piece will be as if that's the sort of one sentence. Just even if only the three words are, I'm Charlie Murphy, to take the second to really say that. And then you'll go on and say, my first song is, and you'll get to do that. But the two very separate events happening there. One is the most important thing you do in the room, which is introduce yourself, right? I'm, I'm meeting this, this person. And the other is talking about some work that you've prepared. And those two things are not together, even if they happen to happen one after another. And as Lara mentioned, if you've already done one or the other, you'll look very confident in the audition room. If you don't, then do it again. If you don't, if you've been talking and I've already said, my name is Charlie, I don't need to walk up now and go, hi, I'm Charlie, right? We've done that already. And similarly with the slate, if they've already fully introduced the piece, you've done that before the room, you don't need to fully reintroduce it again um, in the way that you do that. Again, those are some little confidence uh, um, bullet points you can pick up. The third thing being prep, we'll talk about prep a little bit more in future episodes for sure. Just important to remember to do it, that the, it's not slate and then work. There is that moment for you to collect yourself. Do Bring all that great intelligent work you've been doing in your pieces before you actually do your pieces. The fourth is the work itself, whether it's two songs, two monologues, whatever the room is, it might be one or the other, it might be one of each. Notice it's only one of seven different things that happen in the room. Is it the most important of the seven? Unquestionably so. No, not for every person. Lara said maybe interviews even more important, but for most people, the work is, it's very important. The monologues and songs, you've been working on these for a long period of time, but notice it's just part of what happens. It's not all that happens. And then the interview, as we mentioned, Lara said that could happen before. Some schools like to talk before you even start. Some will do a little bit of both. They may chat with you a bit and then do a little more formal interview after. Some, there's very little. Sometimes it's only casual. Sometimes they'll take you to a separate room and do a formal sit-down interview. That's the exception, not the rule, but that does happen where it's more of that formal college interview. For the most part in this process, it's normally not so formal as what you would think of as a standard college interview in terms of like, let me pose you a question and give me an essay answer. It is normally more of a back and forth chat, even if there are real questions. 
they want it to feel like it's conversational. They want to really get to know you and the way Lara was talking about. And to me, I count all of that chat as interview. So like I've had students before who tell me like, oh God, I was in there for 10 minutes, but they didn't do any interview. I was like, well, what did you do? You just kept doing the monologue. They're like, no, we just like chatted for five minutes. We didn't do any interview questions. I'm like, no, that is it. That's it. You've done the interview questions. That's what this thing is, right? And often that is, it wants to be more casual for them rather than a, a series of a lot of questions of why Webster, why this? If it goes off into a tangent and you're just chit-chatting, you're doing a lot of things, right? Um, and then we talked about adjustments in previous. Those also could happen, at, could not happen at all, could happen at different times if they were to stop and start you between your pieces before you move on. Um, and we talked about that a little bit more. And the exit slash conclusion, we'll talk about that more too in, in different episodes. But uh, just important to end the audition in the way that you've begun choosing to enter and then choosing to exit, of course, is important. And of course, leave when they're done with you. If they dismiss you, you never want to be the person who's like, oh, wait, okay, so I just have like one more thing. I could try it again, but I could do it better. You're like, okay, they're, they're done. It's time to move on. Um, to be clear with all of that, I'm sure much of that was not um, processed by people as you're listening. If you're just starting this process, you should not feel like you're an expert on any of those things. This is a really difficult and incredibly specific process and different than other kinds of auditions where you're auditioning for parts. But when we talk about those audition skills, which Lara really defined this auditioning as a skill, and I agree, this is what we mean. It's, it's working on the non-material parts of your audition, as well as the ability to psychologically bring yourself into a place, with help from that prep, that third one, where you can present your material to the best of your ability. This skill is the difference, if I'm going to make a little sports metaphor, of practice versus a game, right? A lot of people can do the, the skills and the technique within throwing a football, but then when a bunch of people are running at them, I'm making more football, not less basketball for, for Megan. When the people are running at them, it's harder, right? You, the nerves are higher, and now all of a sudden, that throw that I made perfectly into a, a tire, I'm not making you know, in the, on the move in the middle of the game. But the more confidence you can have in these stages and in how you're going you're gonna, to uh, interact with and encounter all of these stages, it will enable you to be more confident and more comfortable in the room so that you can do your best work. And when it gets time for the work that you're going to go, cool, this is the part that I'm, I'm really excited about. We see it all the time in like our mock auditions where students who are really prepared with the monologues and songs, they really were ready. They get thrown off enough by what happens in the intro and the slate and how they're chatting that then they're in their heads and they're not doing their best work. We want you to feel really prepared and really confident in what all those little interstitial stages are so that you can actually do your best work. Well, if you feel we've done our best work, why don't you go ahead and hit that subscribe button? Also, if you hear my child shouting in the background, you know, give some love. She's giving you love. We're going to give you love right back. We would also appreciate you if you were to rate and review us wherever you found us. I suggest five stars if you do a cartwheel when someone says no to you and an ironic five stars if you do an ironic cartwheel in those instances. You can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingcollegeaudition.com or reach out to Megan and me directly and grace us with a follow. I'm at Charmer7. She's at Megan Marie 2014 If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college edition journey, please check us out at mtca.nyc. You can also follow us with at Musical Theater College Auditions on Instagram, at TweetMTCA on Twitter. And if you want to see our faces, check out some of our mini episodes as well as our full audio episodes on YouTube by searching for Mapping the College Audition. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, seize the opportunity to sit under a tree for yourself and not just because someone told you to. We'll see you next week.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.